again. <laughs> Hello. Hello. Oh shoot! You you froze for a second. I was like, okay, oh. let's try it again. Hello. hello i can hear my husband mimicking me saying hello in the other room so it kind of threw me off a little bit at first i was like i can hear him doing that too i was like i was like wait a second what is that because it kind of weirdly sounds like a cat meowing and like, of course he's like high pitching it he's like hello oh man i miss recording over there and and hearing (laughs) things like that and hearing him crack up at us for like no reason or the background (laughs) oh my goodness um yes so i'm bay and i'm jay and this is the part part i don't i don't get get. uh we talk about weird things yes don't make sense to us (laughs) and then we google them (laughs) And we solve those quandaries. Yes, yes, we're we are the Nancy Drew of regular day to day. you would call us uh, an armchair expert slash internet sleuth, I guess, to a de- to a degree. Yeah, yeah. To if by sleuth you mean like I only go to like the third like option on Google, and then I'm yes. like, okay, I'm done. That's <laughs> it. Yeah, not. You know, to be fair, we're light I, I went, on facts. Yes, we're light. Yes. We're fact. We're fact I am lazy. Light. I'm lazy. Okay. <laughs> I one time I think for one of the one of the subjects topics I went to like the second page of Google, and that was a big deal. And it was just all <laughs> it it really it's not worth going to the second page on Google. I think <laughs> you, it's either going to be on the first page or it's not going to be there at all. The it's second page be, is just like not related. Know. Or it's just going to be more of the same that's like reworded into a different article. Yeah. Basically plagiarized. <laughs> yes. I've noticed that a lot. I'm like, how this do, podcast. How do people get away with this? Yeah. People it's like, just like literally the, the same, exact same yeah. person over and over <laughs> and over again. Yeah. I'm like, clearly Dr. you just Hankel stole Schmidt clearly did the study. <laughs> and it's like reworded by one or two words. I know. Yeah, for sure. Um, but funny story um, that I was waiting for to tell you. Um, yes. on the pod uh when I was going to my car today I got shit on by a bird so <laughs> well, good luck I was like, yeah nothing like finding like I yeah it, well no that's gross. good luck I know I think they just tell you that to make you feel better but I was, I don't know I was once grazed <laughs> not quite kerplunked on like I was walking and it like lightly grazed my hair once once upon How does a time. it graze your hair? It like didn't <laughs> like did quite... you feel it go by? I felt it. I felt it and it like like kind of almost like slid a little teeny teeny weeny weeny bit down yeah. the side of my hair. Yeah, it I didn't really get a full did it get all the way on you yeah I felt I felt something hit my head like it felt like a raindrop and I was looked around and like it's sunny outside and then I saw my car there was like all these little these little spots (laughs) these little like reddish purple spots and then I was like oh no you have to turn back around oh yeah I I turned (laughs) back around and then I like put my hair under the sink (laughs) 
Well, I wiped it off with a towel and my fiance. I like, wish well, I'd been you go there. Take a I would have loved to have been a fly on the wall during that one and just see you being like, <laughs> damn it. Damn it. <laughs> yeah. I feel like that bird like represents 2021. <laughs> it's just like, um, you thought it was going to be better. But I'm just going to shit on everything. <laughs> Well, yeah. hopefully that's a good indicator for the podcast, though, because it's lucky. I hope so. Or just, you know, life in general. Yeah, that's It true. can only go up, I guess, right? Yeah, <laughs> it can only go up. I it's hope. It's like they say that, you know, it's interesting because they, it's like, because they take negative things and then they spin it and put a positive association. Like they claim that like, if it rains on your wedding day, yeah. it's like supposed to be really, really lucky. That's why I think it's just someone trying to make them feel better. So they just made it up. Yeah, maybe it could be, <laughs> it might be. Although some of them are random, you know, like the four leaf clover and stuff. Yeah, that's true. But that makes more sense. Cause it's so rare, but. Well, a murder of crows is supposed to be good luck. What? And they call it a murder. You know, like the group. They don't say a group of crows or a flock of crows. They call it a murder. Oh. Ew. That's why? an actual term. I didn't make I've that I've never up. heard that. Like I thought a, you meant, I, I thought you were saying murdering crows was good no. luck. <laughs> like, no. And the um, the whole, this could be a whole topic. Like a gaggle of geese, uh, a flock of seagulls, yeah. a murder of crows. That's oh, okay. the actual term. That's a new one. Okay. They talk about that on One Tree Hill a couple of times. <laughs> In fact, I think that that's the name of the book that the that the character Lucas writes. I think it's called A Murder of Crows. I'm not sure. <laughs> because they like, I think they, I think they're like team or something. Their basketball team is like the Ravens or something. Oh, of course. So somehow he connects that to crows, even though they're a completely different species of animal. But um, <laughs> I don't remember. I, I vaguely remember that. But, um, but another fun fact is that this is i believe this week is our two-year anniversary it's our podcast anniversary oh that's so exciting two years wow i know i cannot believe that we've been doing this for two whole years i know that's so surprising i cannot believe that we didn't quit already (laughs) (laughs) i totally when we first had the idea i'm like we'll do this like 10 times that I know. That will be it. <laughs> Look at us. <laughs> really just in it to win it. Trudging through. We're it. just ready to quit any day now because it's been we're like two this, whole years. Every, every week we're like, this is our last one. <laughs> or every other week. This is our last one. It's like, we're here for two years. You're welcome. <laughs> um, <laughs> and it's episode 50. Oh, wow. Um, Big you know, because we were a bi-weekly so it makes sense okay so we're right on track then yeah we are right on track we're not well, i guess technically too, 52 but yeah too big of a slacker i mean you know special occasions and holidays we might yes just a tad and just when you so decide to go on vacation i know well hey you um, don't have to worry about that for a while <laughs> i know so um is it your turn or is it my turn i think it's my turn to go first I'm okay with you going first, even if it's not your turn. Oh, so um, you don't think it's my turn is what you're saying? <laughs> I don't care. <laughs> uh, yeah. And it just will take me back to the very first time we ever did this, you know, yeah. two, two whole years ago when we were so young oh, yes. and Naive. unaware. 
of what, what this year fuck? would be like. <laughs> <laughs> what the shithole that was gonna come. We could be in the same room together without wearing masks or having yeah. vaccines. We could not cough. We or could cough without of freaking Carol. out. And, yeah. <laughs> you know, not go to bed crying. No. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Not that I haven't wanted to certain nights, but yeah. Okay, so... All right, just to warn you, my topic is a little heavy. It's not murder Oh, fantastic. I can't wait. It's it's heavy, but it's also really, I found it really interesting. You're, it, it's you're very psychological. Taking one for my page here. Yeah, so hopefully yours is maybe a little more uplifting, but, <laughs> or lighthearted. Um, okay, so my topic is uh, basically mob mentality and kind of how, it relates to the recent events on the U.S. Capitol. Oh, that's, recent that's a great one. Because I kind of sort of talked about that a little bit with stuff like the mass hysteria that I that I did. Mm-hmm. This is like a whole other like way of looking at it for sure. Of like the group. The group mind. The, the group. Mind. I, <laughs> I love on Star Trek. <laughs> like social psych was like my favorite, one of my favorite classes. Um, in in college and i i just love everything about it because you know you go into like psychology being like oh you know you think you know everything about yeah being human and you think oh we have we're individuals we're independent we think independently but then you learn like we're very predictable and we we do things to make other people happy and we're actually not as like I guess unique as yeah. we think or um like free thinking mm-hmm. it just a lot goes into it but um anyway I'll just go through my sources real quick um my uh the science of mob thinking by Sarah Fisher and Allison Snyder um I used my um cognition textbook to, from from hey, college you paid a lot of money for that sucker you might it's as the well only, take it off the dusty yeah. shelf <laughs> it's the only one i held on to uh, it's called exploring the science of mind by daniel reisberg third edition god only knows what edition they're on now um <laughs> new york times article called making sense of the mob mentality and of course good old wikipedia <laughs> yeah of course please actually donate. a lot donate a lot to wikipedia yeah a lot came from wikipedia good old wiki okay so Mob mentality, also known as herd mentality, also known as pack mentality, describes how people can be influenced by their peers to adopt certain behaviors um, on a largely largely emotional rather than rational basis. Um, when individuals are affected by a mob mentality, they make different decisions than they would individually. Uh, the term is coined by Gabriel Trade and Wilfred Trotta. They are both French psychologists um, and then Gustave Le Bon wrote the first uh, book about groups in 1895 um, called The Crowd, A Study of the Popular Mind. Um, so within like the whole mob mentality and the study of groups and crowds, um, there are different theories and each theory kind of has like some evidence for it and then also some critiques and some evidence against it I guess you'd say so I just picked a few of the main ones because I don't want it to get like too like heavy in like research and um you know definitions (laughs) so I'm along for the ride okay (laughs) so one big 
um, theory that's talked about when talking about um, how we act in groups is called de-individuation theory. Uh, basically the idea that when we're in a crowd or a group, I kind of use those interchangeably, we take on more of a group identity and then we lose our sense of self. Um, you know, if you ever think about like, if you've gone to a concert or, mm-hmm. you know, been involved on a team or something, you mm-hmm. know, you kind of start to maybe do, you know, I, I remember when I would go to Simple Plan concerts, I'd be jumping around and I remember like throwing things, like I threw, like, <laughs> I didn't throw it, but I like threw water back. <laughs> like, like in celebration? Um, I, yeah, I guess. It was because I feel like every concert I get in (laughs) where you're like in that pit area, yeah, you become a whole other person. Yeah. Luckily (laughs) I never I always stayed away from that area, but it it was at warp tour. I I just you just and that's one of the things they talk about is you get like this um like kind of rush or um excitement or adrenaline and so I feel like you can get aggressive because it's almost like it's almost like there's like a sale at Bloomingdale's or something. And they're like, oh my God, I got to rush to the front. You stole my spot. I mean, I oh, went, yeah. we saw, and it, it had to have been the slowest, most calming, peaceful song that they could have possibly, I'm pretty sure it was the slowest one in the set. And we were seeing Incubus of all people. And, and if you're, if you don't know anything about Incubus, they're, they're very um, like alternative rock. So a lot of the songs can be like kind of fun and, and, you know, have a lot of different types of instruments and things like that. So this was like one of their super slow songs. And these two girls just went at it right like in physically? front of me. Yes. And I oh, guess wow. I don't think they knew each other. And then I think the one was doing something that the other one didn't like. <laughs> and they, we were pretty close to the front. And then, um, so like the security guards swarmed up and they were like, okay. And then they grabbed the one girl and took her like over that little barrier fence. The other girl would not let go of her hair. So (gasps) they were still fighting as they had removed the one girl from the pit. Oh my God. And her hair was there and she was like pounding on the other girl's head to let go of her hair. And And everyone's like, let go, let go. And like- Incubus did not stop once. It was a great Good show. And um, oh my gosh, I was in luck because I got to move forward a little bit because not only <laughs> they were removed, but all of their friends and boyfriends and everyone were removed. So I got, we got to move up closer, but I just yeah. could not believe it. I was like, oh my gosh. <laughs> I've Maybe seen a lot a of fights. I've seen a lot of fights and a lot of aggressive behavior and tendencies and things like that at concerts for sure. So it's a fantastic example. Yeah. And I think a lot of it, especially concerts, you're standing for a long time. If you're outside, you're hot. Um, it was a hot day. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and people, I know for me, act, so it was for me, I, long day. I have like a big personal bubble and I feel <laughs> uncomfortable. <laughs> I feel uncomfortable if someone like, you know, gets too close or pushes up against me but I mean obviously in that kind of crowd it's kind of expected but still mm-hmm. it's like you kind of you, you're a little on edge already um so yeah it's definitely I mean like what other situation would would you be able to jump on top of people and literally surf through a crowd you know I know right <laughs> like hey I can know. you give me a boost I'm gonna jump into this group of people 
and hope that these strangers catch me. When I went to Warp Tour once upon a time, I think it was like 16. So this guy like yelled at me. He's like, real nice. And I was like, what are you talking about? And, because um, I was minding my own space and, and like, you know, <laughs> because people push into you and then you get moved forward. So yeah, yeah. it's definitely a good Oh example. yeah, I hate that. Like those waves where all of a sudden like everyone's pushing. You're like, it's not me. I know. It's <laughs> like, I swear, I promise. <laughs> so um, that actually kind of goes into the next theory, social identity theory. Um, basically that idea is that our identity as individuals is based on our membership slash non-membership in various groups. Um, for example, like you're I'm, you know, a member of a family, I'm a member of, you know, other employees at my job, I'm the member of a racial identity. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and that, um, so each group has various morals and behavioral values and norms, and your behavior depends on the values of that group and kind of what, whichever is in the forefront or the most, I guess, important at the time. Um, and then, so those are like two of the big theories that, um, that I found. And then there's the idea of groupthink, which I was, I always found really interesting. And that's the idea that group as a group, people make, uh, like poorer decisions due to peer pressure or wanting to conform because even everyone, everyone might disagree, but no one wants to speak up and be that person, or be I criticized to be that person yeah you definitely are that person <laughs> uh, every time you see a movie where there's like someone who's being picked on or something and no one speaks up for that person yeah I always like secretly think like I want to be that person I want to be <laughs> that person who stands up for the little guy <laughs> <laughs> I feel like you probably would be that one person because I think it probably you know, depends because you consider in certain circumstances you consider yeah. your own safety you know, yeah, like that's you don't true. want to be the next person, especially when you're young and you're yeah. an adolescent and you're probably, I'm just guessing more susceptible, but as, as we are now aware that you can still be an adult <laughs> and be susceptible to these things. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I feel like with you, at least maybe I'm just thinking in a classroom example, like you would, you wouldn't be afraid to like say something, you know, if you didn't understand it or. I mean, that's kind of what this podcast even came from, like when we were watching a movie and you're like, this is the part I don't get, but I guess, <laughs> but I guess you're right. It depends on who you're with. I mean, you were with like me and my brother at that time. Yes. And he's, he's probably the one that we can thank the most because he yeah. laughed at me the hardest. <laughs> he's like, you um, always say that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't get it. Um, so going along the the idea of conforming in groups. There's been a lot of uh, like pretty famous studies. I'm sure you've learned, or you've probably heard about the ash conformity experiments. No. Um, oh, well, let me enlighten maybe, you. Maybe when you bring it up, it might yeah my memory. Yeah. So in 1951, um, an experimenter named Solomon Ash, um, he, he led the, he led the, um, study so it involved 50 male college students of course they're all male but it was the 50s so I'll let it slide um so basically what happened they bring the participant into a room there'd be seven other people but they were actors 
um, and they gave um, their participant, they gave the whole group a picture of a line. And they said, okay, look at this line, like look at the size, how long it is. And then they said, they gave them another picture with three other lines of different sizes. And they said, okay, pick which line matches the first line you, you saw. And it, if you see like, if you see the, like what the lines look like, it's really, really obvious what the right answer is. Like a kindergartner okay. could figure it out. But the, <laughs> <laughs> seriously though, um, but the actors uh, purposely all got together beforehand and picked the wrong answer. Like they agreed on, okay, we're gonna pick the wrong answer to see, you know, what the experiment was to see, does this person conform given that everybody else did. picked this other answer. 30, so 33% of participants picked the wrong answer on the first time. And then the more they did it after 12 sessions, 75% um, of the participants picked the wrong oh. answer. So like the more, the more you do it, like I guess they kind of like just give up after a while. I'm like, yeah, and, what he said. Yeah, I remember, <laughs> I feel like I, I even saw like a video of it and, and the, the people were just like, I I guess it's B. I, like they, <laughs> well, were like, they like fighting them on it, or were they just saying, yeah, it's B? They were, well, like they the were actors. Like, were they oh, making no. a big deal about it, or were they just saying, I no. think it's B? No. So what it happened? They would go down the line, and and the participant was the last one to go. Oh, okay. So it yeah, was a sorry, pretty I should have added that subdued yeah. like response. Yeah, it wasn't like, like aggressive or anything. No, no, no. And there there were it wasn't like they were like, come on, man, it's B. You know, yeah. it was like. <laughs> Okay, okay. But but it showed the the guy just looking really confused. Clearly like, it's B, sir. And he's just like <laughs> like you could tell he had he didn't understand why he was giving the answer, but he just felt like he had to give it. Okay. Um and then this one I think really pertains to what happened in the Capitol. Uh, um there was a walking study done at Leeds University. Uh so researchers instructed participants to uh walk around a large hall without talking to each other. Now, most of the participants got very vague instructions on where to go. However, a few were given more detailed instructions on where to go. So they found that 95% of the people that got the vague instructions, um, they would follow the people with the more detailed instruction, even, even though they had no reason to follow them. Um, they just, you know, those people obviously looked more confident because they had uh -huh. more clear instructions. Um, and this was a, about 200 participants. And I, you know, I, when you see that, you know, I'm sure you've seen the footage of people going into the Capitol. Yeah. Breaking in, I should say. Um, and a lot of these people, I think, you know, there was clearly a few of the big, um, the louder ones that were rallying mm -hmm. everyone else. But I think a lot of these people were just like, well, I'm just going to follow this guy. And, you mm -hmm. know, he, he's, he's wearing like animal skin or he's got his face painted. He must yeah. know what he's doing. Well, I mean, it's called follow the leader for a reason. Right. And then, you know, a lot of them, you know, in some, in some cases, like, like we were saying, you were saying about the concerts, you know, you kind of get like <laughs> pushed through in some ways too. Mm -hmm. I mean, not all of them, obviously, like you could easily turn yeah. around, I'm sure not to give them like a, an out at all of course yeah and it's like oh they're doing it so we must be allowed yeah. to do it too right or like it's that whole like I, you lose your sense of of self because you're in a crowd like we can't all get in trouble yeah psych because <laughs> you posted freaking videos of yourselves you idiots <clears throat> excuse me um i just totally 
cleared my throat right in the microphone there. It's okay. Um, <laughs> I do this all day. <laughs> my like mouth and, is so dry. I'm like, uh, 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 excuse me. Like oh. on my zooms. <laughs> okay. So they also found, and I'm going to get a little more into detail in this later, um, that uh, they looked at people's um, actions in, I guess, groups online. So okay. they uh, study it. Hebrew University, NYU, and MIT, I guess all together, they had participants look at online comments. Um, in one group, the comments were um, already given like a fake upvote or like, I guess like a like, kind of like on Reddit, how you can upvote stuff or downvote stuff mm -hmm. um, to see how that influenced the, um, the readers. And they found that those that already had upvotes were 32% more likely to get um, an upvote from the readers rather than those with no votes. So, you know, if you already see something that's, you know, people are giving good feedback to, whether or not it's, you know, at all accurate, um, factually, um, <laughs> it affects us. That, I mean, kind of relates to uh, the, the one I did about like ratings and stuff. Oh yeah, you're I right. I just kind of thought of that, yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, everybody wanted to go to that restaurant, even though it wasn't real. Right. <laughs> right. They knew literally zero people who had been there, but they're like, yeah. we gotta go. That just, that fascinates me. But <laughs> um, so it used to be thought that cr crowds acted with one mind, like one irrational mind, but it's actually, um, now it's more thought of that it's more of many small groups. And like in the example of like a protest, like sometimes you'll just bring along a friend as support or someone that kind of wants to watch after you or like maybe someone that's your ride or something that's not necessarily mm -hmm. there for the cause. Um, let's see. So many um, people can go to protests with the intention of being peaceful minded, but then they get triggered uh, to turn violent like um, if barricades are broken or sometimes can be triggered by police action, you know, if they feel like someone was unjustly, you know, pepper sprayed or something like that. Mm -hmm. um, and one thing that came out of one of the articles I read um, was how disorganized the, um, the storming of the Capitol was. And they talked about how- Much like the storm area 51. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, you can draw all kinds of parallels. Yes, seriously. But um, so they were saying how people seem surprised that some people, some people seem surprised they got in and they were even like standing behind the velvet ropes of the statue as if they were tourists, like they were still following, even though they broke in, like they started following like rules sort of like, and a lot of them really just looked like, well, some of them were being ushered in by the police. So that was... <laughs> that was a whole nother thing, but um, so what they've found is that organized protests with a social structure are less likely to be violent. Um, so they talk about the sit-ins in the 60s and 70s against mm -hmm. the Vietnam War. Oh yeah. Um, I mean, because that was all, you know, based off of um, like Gandhi um, and that whole idea of, you know, like the peaceful protest. Right, yeah. right. And you really have to, you know, you have to kind of have it, 
a plan for how you're gonna and they were trained things they were yeah. literally trained to be like harassed and beaten mm-hmm. and not respond who i don't Speaking, know i don't know yeah. how i would react to that that would be very challenging yeah, speaking of that, um, MLK Jr. would actually uh, train people on how to react to the police. Like he would tell them um, to make their body go limp if they, you know, get taken by the police so they won't get beatings. Um, and also they, he said to wear boots instead of sneakers because if you get dragged, like they won't fall off. It's like little weird okay. things, sad, you know, kind of sad things. It's that sad you, that they had to know about. that, yeah. Right. It takes like a, that takes like a whole other level of bravery. I just can't yeah. even imagine. Just I to mean, have basic human rights. I know. You know? Um, and with the Black Lives Matter protests, I didn't realize this, but they had a um, hundred or reportedly a hundred marshals patrolling them um that were like specifically trained to like de-escalate and they had medics and then they would all talk to each other on walkie-talkies um wow so they really really did like crowd control yeah i mean like and as much as you know the you know they like the the right-wing people try to make it seem well black Lives matter protests did the same thing it's like well no they didn't i mean no they didn't (laughs) Not it's at because all. you so, find like one person who wasn't following along with yeah. the rules who may or may not have even been connected with them. She could have been just Joe Schmo just got off work at, you know, yeah, wherever. And like then they didn't that's the picture that they take <laughs> yeah. and that's the picture that they post online. And and that's like the what people, you know, start then having that negative connotation. But if you ha- you have to look at the majority this whole like group mind thing that you're talking about like you have to look at what the majority of the individuals are doing right yeah and the fact that these people showed up with guns and you know a noose and you know clearly you went into this with the idea that you know you're gonna be violent and not that I'm saying that everyone there was gonna be violent but it's it's a little different (laughs) than what the Black Lives Matter protests were doing but anyway absolutely um, and of course there are organized protests that where it, it is meant to be violent, you know, like, oh yeah, um, you know, they have those people that are kind of meant to stir things up. So it's not oh, to yeah. say that, um, it happens. Know. It definitely yeah. happens, but you're yeah. going to get hundreds of people in a small space, right? Something's going to happen. Not always going to go well. Yeah, for sure. So, um, and this article, actually, I forgot to give him credit earlier, but, um, the science of mob thinking uh, article was sent to me by a, uh, a, f- a reader friend of the pod, Andrew. It's funny. He didn't even know this was my topic and he just sent and it he still to me. sent you something. Oh, yeah. Cause it was like social psych and um, you know, we bonded over that, but I was like, Oh my God, that's my topic. I was so excited because <laughs> I hadn't started researching yet. So kind of. You're like, thank you so much. I know. It's like, yeah. So thank you. Now I have to do less homework. Exactly. <laughs> um, so research uh, shows that that mob thinking has actually become stronger with internet and online news. Can I imagine? And, um, and there's what they call heuristics, which I, I had to like literally play how to say it. <laughs> it plays a role in assess, assessing information. It's basically a shortcut. The idea is that it's like a strategy we use to assess new information and basically we kind of use what we already know um in our own experiences to as a shortcut um 
to, I guess, to how we interpret new information. So like they gave the example of like, if someone asked you, how many, how many, do you think college kids are more likely to have a dog or a cat? And obviously you don't just randomly know this information. So you'll think to yourself, yeah. well, oh, well, how many I college kids, of course, <laughs> well, you think you probably go in the back of your head, like how many college kids do I know or in the past were in college and had a dog or a cat. So you kind of just like kind of do your own like frame of reference. Um, so, um, and they talked about um, racial identity as a key um, heuristic to interpret facts. Um, and we tend to turn to those who look like us and act like us and um, for information and basically Trump weaponized this idea. Um, and with rapid, what they call uh, digitization of news, uh, there's less fact checking, uh, more use of um, heuristics. Basically, the internet has become a, a heuristic. Um, and they found that uh, a Columbia, I'm sorry, a Columbia University study found that access to more information through social media leads to less fact checking. We just kind of take it for for truth, um, no matter like what it's from. Documentary, the Netflix documentary. That was it called Social Networking. Is that what it was called? That came out over the summer. Um, oh my gosh, it was fascinating. I think that was something else. Wasn't that the Facebook movie? <laughs> that was called The Social Network. Oh, okay. And I, wasn't it called Social Networking or The Social Dilemma? Oh, yeah, that sounds right. Was it called The, the Social, Social Dilemma? Dilemma? Wow. Yeah. Okay. That was a show, right? It was, it was a documentary. Oh, okay. And it was on Netflix and it was, it was a lot, it had some of that in there. It was fascinating. Yeah. Really kind of freaked me out. <laughs> I know that's, that's what I've heard. I think I started watching it and then I was like, oh, like, God. do I have any say in any of my <laughs> own original thoughts or are they just all given to me? Well, my, my fiance, um, and I, well, he got me to do it too, downloaded this app called Signal, which like you can text and send things through, which apparently supposedly doesn't like share your information and it's private but you know who knows if that's even true <laughs> <laughs> but um yeah so i another thing that that they found in this when i thought about it, i was like yeah this is definitely true for me if if the information comes from a source that you trust you're more likely to believe it's true no matter you know what it is so um and research shows that our attitudes towards issues are determined by who we identify with rather than what we already know. So like, um, you know, if you're an anti-vaxxer, you know, you can be given all the information in the world about this, the efficacy and safety of vaccines, but you're already like in that group. So like you identify with that group. So, yeah. See, like, that's the thing is like, I would love to try and like force myself to, to break away from, from that science. I mean, I know obviously they've done studies that prove this, but you know, like when people, for example, like divide the part in the party lines, you know, Republican yeah. versus Democrat and stuff like that. And I just think that it's just so much, so much more helpful for us as human beings to just kind of have a diverse group of information yes. that we're getting, you know, our ideas and knowledge and experiences from, I think that we should listen and learn from so many different sources. Right. And then it's like when you were in fifth grade and they said, you know, find three or three or more sources for your book report. You know, <laughs> you need to find three or more sources and that, you know, that 
that we should try it i think it you know creates more unity when you're like yeah. listening rather than saying ah right different party not gonna listen to you, you know? right yeah <laughs> it's like hard though to force to, to break past those boundaries when yeah they're so think ingrained. of someone as being noticeably different than you and you're right like, you know oh i i'm just gonna assume that there's nothing that we'll have in common and that we can't see eye to eye on anything but you right. never know until you actually have those conversations right and it's crazy because i don't i don't know maybe if it's just because i was in you know young innocent child but i when i was younger i don't remember news being so political like i thought like you know if you picked up the washington post it was you know it wasn't going to be like, oh, the Washington Post is liberal or oh, it's conservative. Yeah. It's just like, it just is. And maybe it used to be, I don't know. But now it's like, well, if you read this, you know, this new source is more liberal. This source is more conservative. It's like, geez, like, yeah. And you don't know. <laughs> I thought what... we were just getting the facts. <laughs> I thought we were just reading the weather. But yeah, I mean, because of the internet, like no one, no one is there to monitor it. I mean, I guess to an extent, but you know, I, uh, and obviously this is getting into a whole nother debate, but you know, it sounds like they're, <laughs> they're starting to monitor a little more about what is factual and what's not. But anyway, that was, that was my, my topic. It was just, oh, really? I thought you were going to keep talking. <laughs> no, I was like, no, that that's actually it. I mean, um, I mean, the, the takeaway was that there's a lot of research that needs to be done and uh, we, there's a lot of stuff they still don't know about groups and, you know, they so, you can try to predict it, but people are not. So always you, predictable so you the part you didn't get was the idea of the mind mentality and like how people can kind of lose their individuality in those circum circumstances yeah i guess for me in terms of like the the you know the this i'll call it the siege on the capital i guess my thing is how like how did it get from like just a march to we're breaking into the capital and it got like how did it change from like just how did things people, escalate yeah and um, then all those people follow along and no one questions. yeah and how they're just like taking like how you're just taking selfies and thinking you're not going to get in trouble and maybe they maybe they didn't care I mean I think there's a lot of white privilege involved we can just put oh. that out there <laughs> oh yeah um so that's definitely a thing but just I don't maybe know I guess some the, naivete in there yeah because well. mm -hmm. I'm like I'm like, did every single one of these people, they couldn't have all been going there being like, yeah, I'm going to go hang, you know, the, um, you know, Pence for, for being a traitor. Or, like, did you really think you're just going to like waltz into the Capitol? Um, well, like you said, some people come along as like your bride yeah. and like your friend. And then, you know, those people probably didn't come in there with the same types of passions. And then obviously somewhere along the line, that changed. Right. Right. And I think a lot of it is the mob mentality. Yeah. So that's kind of what, what I didn't get and, and just aspects of mob mentality, because it's one of those phrases that are thrown out there a lot. And I just wanted to know exactly what, what it was. <laughs> Not why they say, don't yell help, yell fire. Yeah. Because well, that's the bystander effect. <laughs> okay. Cause like people won't come to help you, but they'll call 911 if they hear fire yeah. or something like that yeah that's scary. sad yeah <laughs> so, um super scary i know yep i see you got your glasses on i do i got my my blue light blockers <laughs> how are they working for you 
I can't tell the difference, but I feel that like means, if I, if I can't tell a difference, then I guess it's not hurting me. I would think it's I not just, working. Well, I mean, like they are so light that I cannot even, I can barely feel them. So, um, I'm going to try it out for like another week. Yeah. I um, haven't had any headaches yet. So I feel like, they well, maybe they are working then. I just want it. Like, I just like am nervous about looking at the computer for so long yeah. I'm like, and you know me, I don't exactly have a well-lit situation going on in my life on a day-to-day. I'm like, like a little bat living in a cave. Um, Everywhere you live <laughs> has been dark. That's just how <laughs> I'm just always like, like that. Uh, so I'm like, this can't be good for my eyes in the long run. You know, I don't want to be like, you know, squinting. I just watched a Seinfeld episode where like George like lost his glasses and <laughs> He's like, he's squinting. He's, he's seeing the raccoons. <laughs> he's like, those were mailboxes. I didn't have the heart to tell you. <laughs> I don't know. So, um, yeah, but my topic is a little more lighthearted. So it's okay, good, good that you went first. It'll even us out. Um, I've been saving this topic for probably a good month or two specifically because I wanted it to, um, kind of coincide a little bit with like the inauguration um mm-hmm. it has nothing to do with the inauguration but it has everything to do with presidents so i and i guess it's um you know president's day is in february so that actually probably wouldn't have been smarter for me to wait till february but this is one of those weeks where you're like i'm just gonna pull from the list <laughs> um because um it was wednesday and i needed a topic uh <laughs> so mine is um well first of all i'm gonna ask you a question do you know what um bears mockingbirds alligators silkworms dogs cats and tiger cubs all have in common (laughs) sorry something about your face when you said tiger cubs tiger cubs i'm sorry (laughs) no no it's funny um are they nocturnal no (laughs) there's no way you're gonna get this This is is this something they eat no okay i give up (laughs) they have all lived in the white house at one point as a presidential pet oh i should have known from the clue that you gave about the inauguration okay (laughs) so i just thought like it's this is a presidential alligator (laughs) yes more than one so this is a presidential theme. Um, I thought, you know, like, I, I guess it probably would have made more sense for me to, to do this on the week of That's President's okay. Day. So, oh, well. Um, uh, <laughs> so there is a presidential pet museum and it was founded by Claire McLean in 1999. And there's a website you can go. It is temporarily closed right now due to COVID. Um, the website was incredible incredibly helpful and uh they are the (laughs) huge huge stores for me it's presidentialpetmuseum.com and uh also ranker.com because they have like a lot of lists and things like that um the only thing that i would say about the the presidentialpetmuseum.com is that they didn't say where it was and i was like what if i want to visit so i had to actually google that I had to Google where is the presidential DC? pet museum. I thought yeah. it would be in DC too. Not too, not that far off. It's in Williamsburg, Virginia. So it's okay. At least it's in on like the East Coast. Um, yeah. It's a neighbor of DC. 
Yeah, when um, you're doing your tour of, uh, you know, the, the battlefields and stuff. <laughs> yeah, it's a historical yeah. location for sure. So according to the website, it was established as a means of, quote, preserving information artifacts and items related to the presidential pets in an educational and fun way, end quote. Um, so <laughs> That's <I'm> cute. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I just thought it'd be like a fun, lighthearted thing um, that uh, maybe we could think of. Uh, in this, these dark times, because uh, <laughs> uh, um, I don't know about you, but I am feeling the seasonal effectiveness disorder. I mean, the acronym itself is sad. You know, I it's, know. It's so cold outside. I know. And the sun goes down at like four o'clock. Um, well, the days are getting longer now, so I know. Hold thank, on to that hope. Thank goodness. You should get one goodness. of those those lamps. The little light things. I yeah. thought about it, but. I feel I like to. I'm going to feel about it the same way I feel about these blue light blocker glasses. <laughs> and it's just going to be one of those, you know, waste those, of money, waste of money. Yeah. Who knows? They might work. Uh, my therapist said that hers works. And I think she even did. She had one on one time when we were, um, when we were in a session once and then she turned it off and I was like, Oh my God, it's so, so dark, dark in, here. in here now. You, you start <laughs> crying automatically. You're like, Oh, no. So I didn't do every single now on the website, and I'm sure if you do go to the Presidential Pet Museum, they have like every single president on there and every single pet. And then they have little uh, articles and excerpts that you can click on for like every pet. I mean, I do not know how they were able to find out all of this information. Some presidents had very few pets and some have a ton. So it's just like that would be me. It's insane. Like It'd how be like they a were zoo able if I was to in the find <laughs> that information. So I only really put together a list of the ones that were that were um, interesting, like the alligator. So uh, starting at the very beginning, George Washington, president from 1789 to 1797. Never heard he of him. had no. pretty much the, the usual pets of the time, like horses and dogs and things. But I did thought, think it was worth mentioning that he had many, many hound dogs and he owned two that were named Drunkard and Tipsy. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my god. He had like eight Drunkers. pounds and then two of them tipsy? happened to have that, num that number or that name, not number. Um, Thomas Jefferson, president from 1801 to 1809, he had a mockingbird named Dick and he had two bear cubs uh, that the two bear cubs were given to him by Captain Zebulon Pike. Uh, they gave them to Jeff. He gave them to Jefferson in 1807 as a gift, and he said that they were apparently like supposed to be some sort of different species of bear, and they were special. And um, Pike had bought them from um, a Native American man in the Midwest, and they were then carried on horseback hundreds of miles to the White House, and then they stayed at the White House for two months, and they were kept in a cage on the lawn so that the mm. public could see them. Uh, Jefferson wrote that the bears were big shock, too ferocious to keep. And he you decided think? to then give them to his friend, Charles Peel. And Charles Peel was the founder and owner of this really large um, museum in Philadelphia of natural history objects. But he also liked to keep live animals as well. Um, 
I won't go into detail, but it didn't end up well for the Bears, very unfortunately. They had a, oh, a very unfortunate life. As you can imagine, I mean, this is the very early 1800s. So John Quincy Adams, a president from 1825 to 1829, had the very first alligator. Um, the alligator was given to him by the Marquis de Lafayette. The gator lived in a White House bathroom and scared uh, several of the guests. While in the bathroom? Yes, in the bathroom. Aww. People say that Adams Kinda did sad. enjoy showing off the alligator before it was moved to a new home. Adams's wife, Louisa, she kept silkworms uh, in, I think they were like mulberry trees. Uh, she was said to be kind of sickly and she suffered from many like miscarriages and she was prone to migraines and other ailments. So she uh, harvested the silkworms and the, or I'm sorry, the silk from the silkworms, which lived in the mulberry trees on the grounds. And then she would use the silk and spin it and use it in her sewing. Uh, well, at least she used it. I know. So people say that they didn't really have a very good marriage, Louisa and Adams. So uh, she enjoyed raising the silkworms and harvesting their silk um, as like a way of coping with her depression. Okay. Um, and, uh, but the trees are no longer there. So they don't know what happened to the mulberry trees. Um, mm. So they're assuming that obviously, apparently that's like the only thing that the silkworms can eat. So I'm assuming the silkworms are now gone off as well as the trees. So Andrew Jackson and it was president from 1829 to 1837. He had a lot of other pets, but he had a parrot named Pole, P-O-L-L. Um, and he <laughs> taught this uh, parrot to swear. I don't know if he taught it intentionally, but um, the, the article that I was reading kind of made it sound like Andrew Jackson just happened to swear a lot anyway. So the African gray parrot just happened to <laughs> mimic and copy him uh martin van buren who was president from 1837 to 1841 had a pair of tiger cubs they were given to him by the sultan of oman the uh, named kabul al-saeed he apparently was very very happy to have these tiger cubs and he really wanted to keep them yeah, until the they white, got older <laughs> to keep them in the white house as like a regular pet and he was going to even start making changes to the White House so that he could keep them there. But then Congress stepped in and said that he couldn't have them. Uh, I really? guess back they, then they nice. were just like, no siree. So Good. Congress claimed that the Cubs had started their journey to the U.S. while Jackson was still president. So that, you know, Jackson was no longer president at this time. So they were saying that this made the Cubs the property of the United States rather than the property of Martin Van Buren. So in the end, the Cubs they were found. confiscated by Congress oh. and were sent to the local zoo. Okay. So I don't know how the That's zoos were probably doing a better in place 19, for them. <laughs> or in 1837, 1841, but let's hope that uh, <laughs> they were better off. Um, so lost my place all right so millard fillmore who was president from 1850 to 1853 keep in mind i'm skipping i'm not saying every single parent he had ponies that were Being named president <laughs> yes yes <laughs> you're still in teacher mode uh he had ponies 
that were named Mason and Dixon. I thought mm-hmm. that was just funny. Um, but uh, interesting fact, Millard Fillmore was the founding member of the president of the Buffalo, New York chapter of the ASBCA. And I thought that that was interesting that the ASBCA existed in 1850-1853. Actually, technically, it didn't say that it was at the same time period. But in the 1800s, I just wouldn't assume that the ASBCA would even exist. I would have thought that that was more of a more modern day thing. But good for them. Good for the ASBCA. Um, So James Buchanan uh, was president from 1857 to 1961. And James had a pair of bald eagles. They were given to him by a friend and they were, quote, unsuited to live in the White House, <laughs> no. whatever that means. So he had them sent to his other home in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. So I guess they were more suited for that. Did um, they keep them in a cage? So or? it said that the pair of eagles did have cages on the back porch of the house, but that they were given freedom to fly around the property as they wished and they never left they like would always come back oh i guess because they get fed there i'm (laughs) assuming that you know they were probably just raised in captivity at so young an age that it was just easier for them to be fed that way yeah um which is a shame that you know they weren't just released into the wild and able to take care of themselves but who knows uh abraham lincoln was president from 1861 to 1865 had many pets um and keep in mind most of these pet i would say the most common pet by far were dogs cats and horses um because you can imagine like horses were very common especially at this time for transportation (laughs) yeah um so but i'm just kind of skipping over those you know because they're the pretty standard obvious yeah um so the unique ones abraham lincoln had many pets and uh so he had a dog named fido i thought it was funny that in the 1860s there would be dogs named fido (laughs) um and he had a turkey named jack um so we know that abraham lincoln is the one that's responsible for thanksgiving being a national holiday yeah. Um, on October 3rd, 1863, Lincoln signed an official proclamation setting aside the last Thursday in November every year as a, quote, day of Thanksgiving and praise, end quote, quote. So that November that in 1863, someone sent a live turkey to the White House to be a part of the, you know, the official holiday meal. Mm-hmm. The Lincoln's 10 year old son, Tad bonded with the bird and he named him jack and tad treated the turkey like a pet and taught him to follow him around the white house oh my god um, and on the grounds and so tad i don't know why tad wasn't in on what was happening here but tad (laughs) found out i mean like i can only assume at that time they ate things like that so um (laughs) tad eventually found out that Jack the turkey was supposed to be turned into dinner and he interrupted his father Abraham Lincoln at a cabinet meeting crying and pleading that his new pet should be spared so Lincoln delayed the meeting in order to pen an order of reprieve for the turkey so that um, Jack then became a part of the Lincoln family pets collection wow um that that's that's kind of cute so that's um, how the pardoning of the turkey started or i would think so but who knows 
Um, it's gotta be right. It, it obviously wouldn't have happened before that because Thanksgiving wasn't a thing. Um, or at least the, obviously we know that the first Thanksgiving was well before that day and that year, but mm. the first, um, like national holiday, if you will. Um, so I'm assuming that's probably where it came from, but you never know. You can make that your topic next Thanksgiving. Um, <laughs> it is on a Thursday. <laughs> so oh. it would fit. Um, that is true. Andrew Johnson in 1865 to 1869 was president. And it is said that he left out flour at night on the floor for a family of white mice in his bedroom. Now the article said during the dark times of his impeachment, um, <laughs> I, I don't know during how this family of white mice gave him what did joy. <laughs> hey, sometimes you gotta find something. I, I wonder know. if that's what Trump is doing right now. <laughs> Leaving out flour on the ground, maybe. Being like, I need a distraction. <laughs> Benjamin Harrison was president from 1889 to 1893, and he had dogs and goats, but he also had two opossums. One was named Mr. Reciprocity, and the other was <laughs> named Mr. Protection. Strange name. So it sounds like a, like a racing horse. It reminds so, me of your uh, Miss Precious. Uh, oh, yeah. Mrs. Prettiness. Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. Miss Prettiness. Yes. Your, that your was my, my stuffed favorite animal. stuffed animal, Miss Prettiness. Now I was five when I named Miss Prettiness. <laughs> Maybe they let the it. kids name it. <laughs> Maybe. Yeah. Although because, reciprocity, they wouldn't have known that word. <laughs> who knows? Maybe they were very educated. Um, they had that dictionary in hand at all times. Um, maybe like a word of the day calendar, perhaps, uh, you know? Yeah. So he gifted these opossums to his grandchildren, but supposedly he himself really had the fondness for them. Um, it's one of those like where I'm going to give this gift to you, but it's really a gift for yourself, you know? <laughs> yeah. Um, they were apparently very well loved by the family and they could even be seen running around the White House um, like free in, in the house. <laughs> That's so weird. I can't even imagine. Oh my God. Um, so... Uh, Theodore, or Teddy Roosevelt, um, was president from 1901 to 1909. So he had a lot of pets, like that whole family. And it's not even necessarily the presidents themselves. It's including like their whole entire family. Um, yeah. When everyone talk that about lived the there. presidential pets and some of the stuff, some of the pets that were on these lists were even in like their, their family homes rather than the White House. Um, so technically, I guess I should have phrased it better technically not all of these pets have probably lived inside the white house but they've all been pets of presidents um but yeah. many many of them have um lived in the white house so yeah i probably should have said that in the beginning um so yeah so not all of them have actually lived in the white house um so teddy roosevelt had many pets um like uh, dogs horses birds rabbits cats guinea pigs Alice and Quentin Roosevelt had snakes. They both each had their own snake. They had uh, two kangaroo rats. They what had the two flying. <laughs> it's it's a rat with a giant giant long tail, and then they have like Ew. these big back legs, so they kind of look <gasps> like kangaroos, you know, because they're kind of like. <laughs> <laughs> I'm your. That is it. 
That's just an interesting combo. So I think like they kind of like, like in the way that they, rats. <laughs> yeah. So in the way that they move, and I think they even have bigger ears too. So the way that they move is similar to like a kangaroo, I think, because of the the tail and the legs kind of thing. But I think they crawl on the ground like a regular rat, but kangaroo rat. They had two <laughs> flying squirrels, and oh, that's they awesome. also had. Uh, a badger named Josiah. Uh, so when Teddy Roosevelt was on a railroad tour out west, because um, this is when like the, the railroad, the big giant railroad that goes across the United States was really kind of coming into play. So they did a lot of those tours. Um, he uh, stopped in Kansas and a girl, a young girl asked him if he wanted to have her badger. <laughs> he <laughs> said yes. And sure. I think he even gave her like jewelry or a locket or something as like a thank you. And um, the badger was two, two weeks old. And he is described by Roosevelt himself as being good natured. Unfortunately though, as time passed on, Josiah's temper seemed to turn. Um, so at first he was like a friendly badger uh -oh. and he'd have like little nips and he'd like hide in the closets and stuff. Um, so like the many people and the hustle and bustle of the White House eventually became too much for the badger and his little friendly nips grew less friendly and the Roosevelt's found him a new home at the Bronx Zoo in New York City. Um, <laughs> but apparently, I don't know if this is true, but this was in the website. So that, uh, so that Josiah would know that he was not abandoned by the family, the Roosevelt's made it a point to visit him often in the Bronx Zoo. I thought that was kind of cute. Yeah, that's nice. So William Taft, uh, who was president from 1909 to 1913, had the very last cow ever to live at the White House. And the cow's name was Pauline Wayne. <laughs> in my personal opinion no offense to anyone but i think that's a terrible name for a for a cow just either name it cute. wayne or name it pauline <laughs> they couldn't decide so they did both <laughs> so on <I'm> up until <laughs> it's just a lot that's a lot that's a mouthful for a cow um so until the late 19th century cows were very commonplace at the white house since washington dc had no dairy or milk delivery companies so Pauline's job was, of course, to provide milk and butter for the first family. She was a gift from Senator Isaac Stevenson from Wisconsin. Pauline became a very popular showpiece at the International Dairymen's Exposition in Milwaukee in 1911. And her milk was even sold in tiny souvenir bottles for 50 cents each to her fans. Go ahead, Pauline. Go, so Pauline. That, that you too could have the president's cow's milk. Back then, that's probably a lot of money, cents. too. <laughs> I know, probably. Um, there, and she was a very famous cow because there were over, there, are, there were at least 20 stories, different stories about her written in the Washington Post. Either that or they were really hard up for some news. Um, overall, there were I mean, like, another Pauline story again? I'm so um, sick about Pauline, but then everyone so, else gets mad if they don't hear about it. We don't hear yeah. about Pauline anymore. And she was like living on the ground. So people could see her. Um, 
and there was even this crazy story of some random guy going up to her and like milking her like a stranger milking her on the grounds of the white house and then drinking the milk that's so gross and creepy Ew. like oh here's a cow i mean just take that i mean even at the time period i still think that it's a very <laughs> odd thing to do um i don't know i just happen to have this uh this bottle over here for just such an occasion that i just come across a random dairy cow um so uh there were 20 stories about her in the washington post overall and she became quite famous she even got invited to cow shows everywhere uh, but taft declined and she was eventually sent back to her wisconsin farm because her noticeably her health started to decline Aww. So then they just kind of sent her back to the farm, which is, which was good. Yeah. I can only imagine she probably um, had to produce quite a bit of milk. Yeah. Um, so Woodrow Wilson was president from 1913 to 1921. Um, and he was the president to have the last sheep that grazed on the White House lawn. I just can't even imagine driving by and like seeing <laughs> just eh. one sheep. <laughs> <laughs> Supposed to be good for, or actually, goats are good for, um, you know, keeping the lawn the short. Yeah. yeah, I've heard that. Warren Harding. Oh, for some reason, I left out his his dates that he was president. Oh, how dare I? Um, he had a squirrel named Pete. And Pete would eat out of people's hands and could be seen running around the White House regularly. He even <laughs> attended press conferences and news briefings. Oh, so that's kind of cute. <laughs> as long as Pete was happy. I yeah. really do hope that all of these Pete animals of were nuts. happy. Yeah, I hope they weren't abused. I hope I that because, I, mean, I, so. I, I hope that because like, you know, like they were the president's animals, at least they were treated well, but you never know. Um, I hope that they got as much prestige as Pauline Wayne did. Uh, so Calvin Coolidge, president from 1923 to 1929. Now Calvin, Calvin was the most prolific pet owner in the history of the White House, both then and now. And I will say the list is long, the amount of pets that Calvin Coolidge had. It was insane. Um, they had a lot of different types of dogs. They had several different types of birds. They had a goose. They had cats. They had a donkey named Ebenezer. <laughs> uh, they had uh, raccoons. They had two raccoons that were Ew. named Rebecca and Reuben. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so they got Reuben and they thought, you know, Reuben needs, needs a friend. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So then they got Rebecca but apparently they didn't get along very well. So um, they weren't really friends. Uh, so Rebecca was an escape artist. So they eventually were like, okay, <laughs> we're gonna give this raccoon to the Washington National, the zoo. I, I see um, a theme here with the, <laughs> this isn't working out, we're gonna give it to the zoo. <laughs> I know, right? At least that they, they had a zoo that they could give it to. Yeah, um, they didn't just, just like shoot it, you know. <laughs> and then Reuben also eventually escaped, but then wasn't found. And they said in the article that this was probably for the best because they would make a lot of mess, as you can imagine. They're raccoons. They dig through the trash. 
you know, they can make, they made a lot of mess in the White House. So they would unscrew light bulbs and tear up the furniture and all kinds of things like that. And I don't know why I didn't write this down, but I read in the Ranker article that he also had baby pygmy hippos. Calvin Coolidge got pygmy hippos. I don't think that he had them for very long. I think he was going to say not a good idea. And then one of the craziest ones is a bobcat named Smokey. So he was taken from the wild in Tennessee and given to uh, the Coolidge family as a gift from the Great Smoky Mountain Association. Now these people live there. I can only imagine that they would be fully aware that this bobcat would work out in the White House. So why would this be the gift? they're like i know what will get him oh darn it honey we don't have anything for the housewarming what should did they give them did they take I a know. tour of the place like <laughs> it's not a zoo that you're moving into it's a house i know well as i'm sure we can imagine bobcat was eventually also given to the zoo uh, <laughs> no you don't say did didn't work out there there apparently wasn't there's really not a lot written about the bobcat so i think it was only living at the house for a very short yeah. while I'm sure after it bit someone's arm off, they're like, all right. <laughs> so um, Herbert Hoover was president from 1929 to 1933. And his son, Alan Henry Hoover, also had a pair of alligators, second pair of alligators, or at least the other one was just one, not a pair. Didn't learn from the other one. Um, and then the very last one that's of that's kind of funny is Lyndon B. Johnson was president from 1963 to 1969. And he had two beagles. He had a lot of other pets too, but he had two beagles named him and her. (laughs) That is cute. So I thought that was really cute. So that's a terribly long list. Um, And that wasn't that bad so far. um, You know, I mean, I think it could be argued because there was another president that had, that was like, that apparently people were very upset that this president didn't have a dog and people were like why don't you have a dog <laughs> i've heard that yeah and then um someone gave him a dog a puppy and then he had it for like a little while and then they ended up you know giving it away and then people wrote in and were like where's the dog you know? <laughs> what'd you do with them so he technically did have pets and i think he had a couple of pets but apparently he just was not a dog person and this was another this was another president i can't, can't believe i didn't write it down but um, so he technically did have pets, but just not for very long. And I mean, the one with the mice, I mean, we could argue that that's a pet, but I mean, it's <laughs> not really a pet. Yeah. So officially, officially, Trump is the only president that doesn't have an official pet. I mean, he's like the only president that is not noted to have any animals. But there's a rumor that there is a dog named, oh gosh. It's named, there's, there's, it possibly there is a puppy named Patton. I don't know Aww. if that's actually true. Um, so uh, pets are a big deal in, in the White House and presidential yeah. pets. But um, I'm assuming that some of the pets on that list were also when, like, you know, after they were presidents, like, you know, they moved back home to wherever and they're living on the farm and they had all these pets there, you know, so it wasn't just during the time of when they were living in the White House. So if you live to be 
let's just say 50, 70, 80 years old, you could have probably spanned quite a few animals in your lifetime. So that Mm -hmm. I think is a big part of the reason why some of the lists were really long. Um, And then if they lived on farms and stuff, they probably owned a lot more animals, but just see like an opossum, a bobcat, an alligator, and, and, you know, donkey going through the White House grounds, you know, that's, that's something. I know, (laughs) especially indoors. I mean, I, I don't know, you know, I don't, they, maybe they had a stable or something at one point, but I don't know. Just especially an alligator in the bathroom. (laughs) They even have like trivia at the end. So I'll ask you like one or two questions. Uh Um, Let's find a good one. See if you were paying attention. Uh, No, I'm kidding. Um, (laughs) These are, these are bad questions. I don't want this one. No. Before it was such a good one. Nope. Nope. Never mind. Well, you can put it on the website or on Instagram or something. If you this find is, it. This is, this is how they, they literally uh, worded this. Which of the following U.S. president pets is, na- is not a mongrel dog? Question mark. <laughs> mongrel dog? Yuki, Skip, or Vicky? I don't know. Yeah. What? but um, What's a mo- I don't even know what that is. I, I'm assuming that that's their way of saying a mutt. I'm guessing it's a weird wording um but it's a really cute little website there's pictures and everything it's really great so that's the end of my topic Um, thank you i'm glad and it's not covid time you know check it out see if it's open um i don't know cool well i'm glad yours was was much uh more upbeat than mine (laughs) i think they balance each other out yeah for sure well Check us out on Instagram, Facebook, send us a, drop us a line on Gmail uh, at uh, the part I don't get at Gmail. And this is the part I don't get on Facebook and Instagram. And we'll post stuff up there for you this week and uh, have a nice two weeks. Thanks for listening. All right. Bye. Bye.